You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Talk radio. Talk radio. Julia Hartley Brewer at breakfast on Talk Radio. Good morning to you. This is Talk Radio Breakfast with me, Julia Hartley-Brewer. Thank you very much indeed for your company. Matthew Lesh from the Adam Smith Institute is still joining me and delighted to be joined right now by the Environment Secretary, George Eustace. Good morning to you. Good morning. Always good to find other people working on a bank holiday Monday. Very, very encouraging. Now, you're here to talk about uh, what there has been, I mean, undoubtedly, the hugely successful uh, charge, the levy on single-use carrier bags introduced back in 2015. I can't believe it's five years ago. Five pence a bag that has been hugely successful in getting people to use reusable bags, bags for life. But uh, you're you're announcing today that it's going to be uh, increased, indeed doubled from next year. Why do you need to bring in a 10p charge? Well, we've um, looked at this. We're also uh, extending it, by the way, to smaller retailers. So uh, it applied first to the larger retailers, mainly the supermarkets. As you said, it's been a great success. Uh, the number of uh, bags used, single-use bags, has gone from some seven and a half billion, and that's been reduced by about ninety-five percent. But the uh, evidence we've got is that increasing it to ten pence will uh, make a further difference, will further drive behaviour change, and get more people uh, thinking about taking a bag with them before they go shopping, getting in the habit of doing so, as many already have done, uh, but also extending it to some of those uh, smaller retailers uh, who at the moment between them still issue around three and a half billion bags a year. We want to see a similar reduction on that front. Many of those small retailers are up for doing this. They want to be supportive. Some of them have tried to do it voluntarily, but feel a bit undermined if other retailers don't. So uh, we're going to extend it to everyone Uh, It's a a policy that's got quite a lot of support from the public. Public consciousness around plastics has been uh, rising. So 
we hope to see a further reduction. Um, I can absolutely understand the extension to smaller retailers. I was quite surprised in a local news agent buying you know a couple of pints of milk and then giving me in a, giving it to me in a in, a, in one of those very thin plastic bags and thinking, wow, I haven't seen one of those for a long time. Um, but if a policy, if a tax, it actually has a ninety five percent success rate. I mean, there aren't many other taxes that have that sort of access rate. Um, I'd like to say I didn't want the tax to come in. I thought it was ridiculous at the time. I, I stand corrected. It has worked. We're no longer using those bags. But but why would you need to double it? If people are already not buying, uh, not, sorry, not taking plastic bags and they're choosing not to pay five pence for them, why on earth do you need to double it? Well, we think it uh, will make a difference. Obviously, we looked uh, at this closely. I, am, I understand your point, but... Uh, we had a consultation on it. We looked at it closely. And I think um, there are two things. There's a sense that after a while, for those who've not got in the habit of uh, reusing uh, bags, um, then they, that the 5P starts to become something they get used to. Uh, and therefore, you, you need to have that extra uh, spurt to, to remind them to think about this, to try to jet drive behavior change. Uh, but also, uh, it means that more people are likely uh, to choose uh, one of the bags for life and are then more likely uh, to reuse that rather than staying in the habit of single-use okay. carrier bags. So we, we we looked at it carefully. I understand your point. Uh, the 5P has indeed been very successful on supermarkets, but we judge that moving it to 10P will make uh, a significant okay. uh, difference. Look, I mean, I've never understood why, you know, if I buy a plastic bag, I should be blamed for someone later on, you know, a year on throwing it into uh, the, the, the Pacific Ocean and killing a dolphin with it. I've always thought that was rather strange. That They seem to be, to be very different issues. But undoubtedly, we've got rid of having all those plastic bags. However, in terms of the environmental benefits of that policy there's still quite a big question mark about this because even though people like me, I mean, I've, I occasionally use the thicker plastic bags, uh, the ones that already cost 10 or 20p, but mostly I use um, some reusable bags. And again, I've used them for, for all the five years, big solid bags. Well, they're probably nearing their end of their life now. But a thick plastic bag needs to be used 37 times before uh, it actually saves uh, in terms of environmental output and carbon emissions and like. Paper bags, 34 times. Cotton bags, very, very popular, very green, and people wear them with a sort of lot of virtue signaling, you have to use them more than 7,000 times uh, before you've actually uh, had a lesser impact on the environment. So although we've been successful in cutting down the number of plastic bags used, have we actually done any good for the environment? Well, yes, uh, we think we have. We've looked at both measures, um, uh, the carbon emissions that come from the manufacture of bags, uh, but also obviously the, the total volume of plastic that's at risk of getting into the environment on on both those fronts, uh, it has been a success. I know that people do raise the, the issue that those bags for life, the thicker plastic bag, if people just keep buying them and disposing them, then obviously that is worse. But um, overall, they're not doing that. People are reusing those bags. And if you uh, consider not just the, you know, the carbon input to these bags, but also the impact on the environment with plastics getting into the ocean, this has been a a very successful policy is why we want to extend it. OK, let's also talk about other policies. Uh, some uh, tax rises were floated in the Sunday papers at the weekend, whether it came out of the Treasury or another department, even possibly number 10, who knows? Uh, but we are looking at £30 billion pounds of tax rises being say, being floated, including things like uh, corporation tax going up, capital gains tax at the same rate as income tax, pensions tax relief cut, cutting possibly the foreign aid budget, uh, lots of uh, uh, other taxes as well into the bargain. Um, do you think the possibility of all these tax rises is a reason why that the Labour Party are now at 40% in the polls, neck and neck with the Tories. Do you think you're actually the Conservative government that a lot of people voted for in last December actually expected to get? 
Well, look, I think um, the point I'd make is in the run-up to any budget, and uh, we've got one obviously this autumn, there's always a lot of speculation about what may or may not be in there. I mean, you know, you'll know, Julia, as a minister in the government, I can't comment on that speculation. Indeed, I'm sure that uh, Rishi Sunak and the prime minister are uh, thinking about what the approach should be in that budget. probably be some tax measures, probably be some uh, spending measures as well, just as is the case in every single budget. But I can't really comment on that speculation. But look, on the on the wider point, um, yes, polls do move around a lot. Um, we've been through some incredibly difficult challenges, obviously, trying to manage this coronavirus in common with uh, countries right around the world. Um, it's been a, an evolving situation. We've been learning more about the virus uh, as it goes on. We've had to react to things very, very uh, quickly and refine our approach uh, as time uh, moves on to try to get things right. It's been a very difficult situation, um, but I, uh, I've learned a long time ago uh, not to, to base everything on a single uh, poll result that comes in a Sunday newspaper. OK, but and let's also talk about you know, just general faith, general uh, confidence in the government. Lots of concerns that we've just been hearing about the issues over the exams fiasco and how that dented uh, confidence for a lot of parents, whether or not the, the government was competent in dealing with schools going back. A lot of people also questioning this uh, drive to get people back into the workplace. I, I mean, you know, you're obviously at Westminster right now. Westminster is MP supposed to be coming back tomorrow. I'm in my workplace right now, along with the production team. Millions and millions of others are now working from home pretty much full time. Um, the government's supposed to be having this big back to work campaign this week. Are we going to see that? And is the government even confident they can get people back to our city centres? Well, look, I, I think it's important to note that, um, you know, in many walks of life right around the country, uh, people have been working. So that if anybody was working in a food factory, um, they would never have even um, gone into lockdown properly. They, we were asking them to continue to work and their companies worked out ways to enable that to be done safely. Um, sectors like construction uh, were returning from June. Uh, other manufacturing sectors have been getting back in the saddle for some time now. And our message really is the, the final piece of the jigsaw, if you like, those people who work in offices. Uh, we want to make sure that they can return to work safely. Um, uh, we're not forcing them to return to work. It's a judgment that obviously companies individually have got to make um, about the number of staff they want back, how many can work safely in their own particular office environment. Uh, But our message this week is that, um, you know, the guidance is there for employers. Uh, People can work safely in an office environment. And we want to encourage those conversations to take place so that while we'll never get back to normal, we can get as many people as possible. Just finally, what percentage of the civil servants and the staff in your office in the Environment Department are back at work now in the the workplace? We don't, but I've had a a team of civil servants working um, very hard throughout this pandemic. And I've certainly been back in the office in DEFRA, supported by staff on a daily basis. Okay, So what percentage Uh, of your staff are back in the office? Um, we don't have a target for the percentage, but in common... I didn't ask you what the target was. How many, what percentage we, of your staff well, are back in really the office? Target, um, our target, if you like, Julia, is to make sure that it's a safe environment for people to get back. I didn't ask you about a target. I asked you how many of your staff are back in the office. Well, today it's a bank holiday, so I suspect very few. <sighs> OK, um, how many were back in the office on tomorrow. Friday when it wasn't a bank holiday? Well, I, I don't know how many were there on Friday, but certainly... Um, you don't know how many... Um, you don't know how many the... people in your own department. You're the you're the Environment Secretary and you don't know how many staff in the Environment Department are in the office. 
I didn't know precisely how okay, many. Okay, all right. 812, 813. What percentage? Oh, is it is it 5%? Is it 20%? Is it 50%? You must have a rough idea. Surely you you I mean you must have conversations with your permanent secretary for who, whose responsibility it would be. What you must have an idea. I think it's impossible to, to argue that you don't know how many people give or take roughly as a percentage are back in your building. Well, I don't know how many checked in yesterday, but what I can say is that I've been working with the permanent secretary and uh, our officials on making sure that the environment is safe so that we can get as many people as possible uh, returning. And that work's been going on over the summer. Do you not know the answer or do you know the answer and it's just embarrassingly low and you don't want to say? I, 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 don't, I don't know the answer. Um, I'm returning to work uh, today um, and uh, we'll be back in the office uh, tomorrow. I All wasn't right. in the office on Friday. I have to admit, Julie, I've been... You, I mean, you're allowed to have a day off and you're, that's fine. That's fine. But you've been in the office I, for the last few weeks. You must have a clue. I don't know the numbers of people who came in on Friday, if that's your um, your answer, if that's your question. What about Thursday? Um, but what I, what I do know is I've been working very hard to make sure that people can return to work uh, safely. Right. It won't be um, possible for everyone to return to work because you won't be able to have okay. every workstation. Do you accept, staff. though, that the government needs to lead from the front on this and get people back? Will you send me a text tomorrow when you see how many people are in the office? <laughs> I may well do that. Thank you very much, George Eustace, Education, sorry, Education, sorry, Environment Secretary. Thank you very much. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Let's talk about schools going back, despite the fact I just read these out, these two tweets from Terence and from Graham. Terence saying, with the kids back at school, we'll give the Joe, Joe public a rest from hearing about it from the media. And Graham says, can't wait for the schools to go back. I don't want to have, I don't have kids, sorry. I'm just sick and tired of hearing about it. I, I, I can agree. I'm kind of sick and tired of talking about it, other than the fact that I know how important it is. And also, I hate to tell you, millions of us do uh, have kids. Nine million pupils set to go back uh, this week. All the papers saying, oh, from Tuesday. Given it's a bank holiday today, um, I don't know a single school person. I thought maybe, or oh, maybe it's just my area that's going back tomorrow. Because, of course, as we know, first day of school, 
You're not actually back at school, are you, if you're a pupil? Because it's a school inset day. Remember, the teachers who are busy working all summer, remember, have to have an inset day on the first day back. So lots of schools, I think, will end up going back Wednesday or Thursday. But will they all? 3% apparently of head teachers are saying they're not even sure if they are uh, going to actually reopen their schools fully, according to a survey of the National Association of Head Teachers. They show 700 schools, 3% of the total number, will phase students back or use transition periods to reopen. Well, let's talk about all of this with Jeff Barton, who's General Secretary of the Association of School and College Leaders. Good morning to you, Jeff. Good morning, Julia. Um, again, again I, I really do have a lot of sympathy with, uh, yeah, with the, the people who are going, for God's sake, stop talking about schools going back. But the reality is we ain't getting um, the, sort of the country back out and about and everyone working again and functioning again until we've got uh, the kids back at school. It's absolutely crucial. How confident are you that, that schools are, you know, the vast, vast majority are going to be up and running this week and everything functioning? Oh, I'm I'm very confident about it. I mean, some schools opened last week. Leicestershire opened last week and saw uh, the vast majority of young people back in school. And I think that there will come a time, your listeners will be pleased to hear, when people like me aren't here speculating about whether young people will be in school because they simply will be and the rhythms routines of school will carry them through. And I think, you know, what what I understand of the survey you're quoting this morning, which is by a different uh, association than mine, is that actually what a lot of schools will do is what we did in normal times. So, for example, when I was head, what we did was to bring certain groups of pupils in at the beginning of the year in order to establish discipline and routines over two or three days. And I think that is probably even more important this year. And you'll see by the end of the week, every child will be back in school, unless their parents are so anxious that they don't spend them. The teaching profession. That is still a a, a real worry, isn't it? How many parents are concerned? And and it does seem to me that I I reckon if you if you actually asked, you know, if you if you polled parents who were happy about their kids going back and polled parents who were unhappy, you would probably find the parents who were happy had spent a little bit more time looking at the facts. That the facts are really clear about how safe schools are, particularly for children, but also for teachers. Look, if you've got if you know if if mum or dad are shielding because they've got a very uh, serious susceptibility to COVID. COVID completely understand if they're unhappy about their kids going back let's make sure those kids get that uh, uh, remote learning if, if that's what they need but for everyone else and there is the vast majority of us it really is as safe as it can possibly be that's absolutely right so a couple of points on that first of all we've seen in other places in Denmark for example which has a you know different different kind of cultural attitudes there were parents there who in the early days, we're worried about their children going back. And the second point is that I think there's, there's some kind of willful misinformation sometimes. So all that stuff that came out very late on Friday night where the government was talking about its four tiers of schools going back. I think some people misinterpreted that as if schools were going to go onto a rotor system if there was an outbreak of COVID in the school. And it really wasn't saying that. What it was saying was, if you're in an area where the rates are going up, then you need to reduce the number of young people moving through the area. That's not about them in the school. It's about them on public transport, in supermarkets and news agents on the way to and from school. And I think some people have interpreted that thinking, oh, maybe it's not as safe as I thought. It, it really is as safe as it can be and indeed as safe as schools ever could be, because this is always and always has been about managing the risks that you have yeah. when you have large groups of people in institutions like schools. And let's say, I mean, I can't think of a single parent who's not ever had the letter saying, oh, you know, um, there's, there's been a, an outbreak of flu, make sure your child doesn't come to school, if, when, or there's been some, the norovirus, or I think we had scarlet fever at our school at one point. I have to say, I've always been more bothered about the nits because it's, it's, it's just another thing on my to-do list, do the, the comb through with a the, with the daughter with long hair. Um, but but we, we, we don't sort of panic and keep our children off school for, for, for months on end when we hear about those diseases. 
No, and it's a reminder of a period of extraordinary national anxiety where, where, where everybody has fallen into a kind of default of being worried about everything, worries and cross, essentially. And I think one of the things that will now happen, I hope, is that we'll see young people start to get back into school and hopefully we'll start to get a, a realistic sense of what might exams look like next year. You know, I, I listened to Robert Halfen today saying there's a 50-50 chance of whether exams yep. will run next summer. Let, let's please not start, you know, creating a kind of apocalyptic vision that exams may not go next year. Let's instead get some of that assessment under children's belts earlier so we're not in the position of so many young people feeling let down as they were this year. Well, the Labour Party is today calling for exams to be held later in the year to allow that extra teaching because of course you know, we, the, the, the kids who were supposed to be doing GCSEs and A-levels earlier this year in the summer, they had by March pretty much had all their teaching. They'd have been off doing revision classes uh, from, from the Easter onwards. They didn't actually miss out on much of the teaching. It's those who were doing them this year, so entering the, the year of their exams uh, in, in, in this week, that they, they are the ones who have lost out, you know, three four five months of of their actual learning that's that's going to be a big concern does moving the exams from they start with may june moving them all to july would would that help i mean there is an argument isn't there where you know let's let's just get it all together let's have some more intensive learning maybe a longer school day certainly rather than a shorter school day to catch up that learning is there any need for exams to be cancelled uh, I, I certainly wouldn't be talking about it. And I think it's not fair to those young people who will have got partway through their preparation for it to be told now that those exams might not appear. I think there's a couple of things. I think the Labour Party suggestion is worth looking at because it gives you three or four more weeks of teaching time, potentially. I think, though, if you look at GCSEs, I mean, GCSEs were designed in a different era, weren't they, when young people were either staying in school or leaving school altogether. We do expect GCSE young people to have 30 or more exams. They'll have three English exams, three maths exams. I mean, a huge kind of industry of exams. It would seem to me sensible you could reduce the sheer number of exams, partly by putting some of that assessment into the term time set by exams so they're being sat in October and getting some of that under young people's belts. And I I hope there's a kind of openness to thinking differently and reassuring young people that it's not all or nothing in the way that Robert Hull... That's yes. a very, very good point, especially, as you say, we, we, a lot of people forget now, you, know, you don't leave school at 16. That's not, you know, you have, you have to continue some sort of uh, learning until the age of 18, whether it's a college or at school, in which case, as you say, they could well be uh, held back later. It seems to me, though, that there needs to be an argument for sort of just just an, an extra effort from teachers. I know, look, you and I have discussed so many times about the kids who haven't been getting schooling, but we know the schools where well, they have been doing their best to do the, 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 the teaching. Uh, the, the, yes, everyone may well be tired, a lot of people are having to sort of really pull together to make you know this work. This just seems to me to be a time when we just need an absolute doubling down in terms of discipline, um, getting those lessons started, making sure kids are getting through the work, as opposed to a sort of, oh, oh, isn't it all terrible? Oh, kids have lost out. Well, we're going to have to just give up for another year then. That sort of that sort of attitude is, is the exact opposite of what we need right now. We need a can-do, get down. We've lost a lot of learning. Let's get to it. We're going we're gonna to have Saturday schools we're going to do that shouldn't we have that sort of attitude rather than forget the forget like the October half term things like that people can't go away anyway we should be just working through and making sure we get our kids up to speed well I think one of the things we'll probably see is teachers welcoming young people back liking hearing their laughter their voices and so on hopefully not having to spend all their time saying put your face mask on when you go in the corridor that kind of thing and instead doing what teachers do best which is assessing where the child is what the curriculum needs to look like and then just relentlessly teaching them and I think you know there was talk early on in all this we need a kind of cavalry of 
councillors coming into school and youth workers. And so I actually think that the epicentre of all of this will be teachers teaching those young people well, knowing what it is that they need to learn, someone else making a decision about assessment, which needs to be done quickly so we know what kind of exams we are preparing those young people for. And then frankly, as you say, let's get on with it. And I think parents will rejoice at that. Yeah, I have to say, can we stop talking about mental health and just talk about educating children? Because that's what what will make them feel better. Just finally, there's some talk in the papers today about the prospect of of young people disrupting classes by forcing school closures by a lot of... (coughs) (coughs) kids coughing a lot will make teachers worried come on everyone didn't everyone just look up at that point help whenever you hear a cough you feel a bit anxious now but that that actually could mean that that schools end up you know closing down you're sending sending kids home quarantining and the like how are teachers going to deal with that Yes, it was a pretty squalid press release from the Department for Education about behaviour and, and not shouting at children and so on. They're, they're the last people, frankly, who need to be advising <laughs> teachers on, on discipline. I think what we will find is the majority of young people delighted to be back in school, see their teachers, the routines and rhythms will continue as usual. And if some misbehave, well, they'll be put in detention or told off or whatever we used to do. Yeah. And that will be a real sign that normality is resumed. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. So the latest polls have shown that uh, Tories and Labour are neck and neck in the polls. 40% each. Uh, Labour has finally drawn level with the Tories for the first time since last year. Very big blow uh, to Boris Johnson. It was a time when during early stages of the pandemic, uh, during lockdown, when he was sky high. At one point, he was the 26 percentage point lead. So what went wrong for the Tories. Well, let's talk to Dr John Curtis. Sorry, Sir John Curtis, get it right, Professor of Politics at the University of Strathclyde. Good morning to you, Sir John. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. I mean, this has been an incredible fall from grace in terms of the polls. Why do you think it's happened? Well, I hate to deflate your headline bubble, oh. but can I point out that it's not polls plural that put ah. Conservatives and Labour. It is poll singular. Um, and actually, it's it, it, the opinion of the company that's responsible. It is a company that has been putting the Conservative lead rather less uh, than have other pollsters. If you actually take the average of the most recent polls conducted by the five companies that are currently polling regularly, we currently have a five-point Conservative lead. That is down a point from the equivalent position but in July. Um, but so far, at least, that is the extent of the further drop in Conservative support. Now, certainly what is true is that the Conservative lead over Labour is less than it was at the general election when it was 11 points. And indeed, we are at the stage because, um, you know, uh, Scotland is basically barren territory for both Conservatives and Labour, whereby actually if we have a general election now, there's probably only a 50% chance that Boris Johnson will get another overall majority. So there's certainly still plenty there for the Conservatives to worry about. Also has to be said, however, that quite a lot of this is not necessarily in the Conservatives' hand. The biggest movement so far since last December's general election has been the decline in Liberal Democrats' support. And it's very clear across all of the polls that that decline in Liberal Democrats' support has gone most heavily towards Labour because it consists essentially of Remain voters. And yes, there's a warning, therefore, to the Conservatives that, you know, one possibility in future, if Liberal Democrats don't recover, is the Labour Party will be able to consolidate the Remain vote behind it in the way that the Conservatives were able to consolidate the Leave vote back in December. But the truth is, at the moment, you know, actually, for a government that has faced the difficulties that it's faced, and frankly, yes, the quite considerable criticism that... um, 
the public express about the handling of coronavirus, actually it's still quite surprising that it's still running at around an average it's, of 42% it's, it's of the It is interesting that the, 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 the support for the government uh, has, has stayed way ahead of that from the public than from, say, the media uh, in terms of the criticisms. Uh, but whether it's an 11-point lead uh, as of December or a five-point lead or a zero-point lead, whatever it is, does any of that really matter at this stage in the electoral uh, cycle, given that uh, with an 80 majority, 80 strong majority, that ain't, I mean, I mean, you need an awful lot of Tory MPs to defect or uh, or start making trouble for that to be uh, an issue well, for it, Boris it, Johnson it, it, for it, the next four starting, years. It's the starting causing trouble bit you have to worry about. In other words, um, you know, uh, Boris Johnson's authority does indeed rest on the 80 seat majority. The thing that will potentially undermine his authority in the minds of Tory MPs is if they begin to be concerned that actually their seats might be at risk at the next election. So opinion poll leads do matter for governments in that if a government really does start to get into serious electoral trouble, then it's a, their ability to maintain the loyalty of uh, uh, backbench MPs uh, becomes more difficult. And whatever is true in general, I mean, you know, it, even with the majority of 80, backbench MPs are not necessarily as loyal as they once were. Yeah. The other thing I think one to bear in mind, at the moment it's still early days, but when we come to next May, as Assuming that we are able to hold these elections, we will have a, a massive round of local and devolved elections, London Mayor, Scottish Parliament, Welsh Assembly, County Councils, lots of district council seats. That will be a major political event, the biggest uh, political event midterm during this parliament. Uh, and if the Conservatives were to lose a lot of ground in that, then certainly Conservative activists and backbench MPs might begin to worry about the direction of this government. But, you know, that's still many months away as yet. Yeah, exactly. So a very long time away, although not as far away as the next general election. Um, in terms of the appeal of the Labour Party, how much of this is down to the fact that um, Jeremy Corbyn is no longer the leader and it is Keir Starmer? Or how much of this is down to the ongoing issues of I mean, the fact that you brought in the Remain leave and that this coalescing of votes around the, the, the same, you know, 2016, my God, still going on about it five years on, uh, uh, the debate uh, over Brexit. How much is just down to a credible leader who's, I mean, who's frankly not you know not a hard leftist uh, someone who's, who's considered to be credible by the public and therefore the votes are just going to come straight back to Labour the answer is a mixture of the two so I've already said to you you know a significant a part of Labour's rise in support is gaining ground from the Liberal Democrats. Yeah. Uh, but the other, it is true, the, the Labour Party is gaining more votes from the Conservatives at the moment than the other, than the other direction. And that is actually coming partly from Remainers and partly from Leavers. And yes, Sakir Starmer has certainly impressed those members of the public who formed a view about him that they at least can imagine him as being Prime Minister, whereas one of Jeremy Corbyn's problems was that people, many people found it difficult to contemplate that prospect. That said, there's still a lot of people out there who are still going, well, who is Sakir Starmer? I don't really know who he is. He's still got an awful lot more work to do to make a, a wider impression on the public. And of course, that's been rather difficult, given that in many respects, politics has been in suspension yeah. because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So I think the answer to you is that, you know, so far, uh, you know, agreeable progress from his point of view, still plenty to do and still a great deal to do to persuade people that the Labour Party more generally could provide this country with more competent government than Conservatives. So whatever criticisms people may have, the Conservatives, until they're convinced the Labour Party would do a better job, they're not necessarily going to go in that direction. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.